episode 30. Computer on. Record. Recording, dear. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, Worm-headed sack of monkeys! Matt, Matt, Matt. And now, together by live simulation via the internets, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah! Hi, we're back with uh, Two True Freaks. It's another Star Trek Monthly Monday. And uh, we're here with a guest this week, uh, Chris Gallo. He's webhead on the Comic Geek Speak Forum. Or uh, if you uh, ever listen to the Amazing Spider-Cast, you might know him as Chris616. Um, I'm going to refer to him as Chris G, Mr. G, OG, Original <laughs> G, Something, something, something to do with G. We're gonna work with the G since I have dibs on Chris. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good, Chris. How are you? Good. And you're you're out <laughs> in San Francisco, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, a little bit south of it, but it's easier to just say San Francisco than say San Jose because most people right. don't know where San Jose is, as the song says. <laughs> right, right. Well, you're, I think you're the first person on our show. Everybody else on our show has either been down south or right up on the, you know, in near New York City, or saying New York City because they were within like 20 miles of New York City. But so you're our first West Coast guest. On, uh, I'm honored. On two tree fruits. It's a milestone day today. Screw all you these other the milestones coast. that are going around. This is this is a big milestone here. The first West You're Coaster now officially coast freaks. to coast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we can put another tack. That tack just spans that. You know, it sucks up the whole Midwest, everything in between, and, and uh, all the flyby states. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, we got to get some. We got to get somebody from from around those parts too. We need some Texas guests. I like Texas people. They're completely insane. Maybe that'll spur some to <laughs> come. But anyway, you answered uh, answered the call that we put out on our forum for uh, original Star Trek fans, and we noticed on your list of favorite episodes that you that this episode was listed. So, what better timing? This is the one that came up on our our magic Star Trek computer, which you'll get to hear later on in the show. We'll fire it up later in the show. Cool. And uh, 
Also, now I'm, I've been neglecting him, and he's had to sit there silently, which you know he's probably like <laughs> chewing through his chewing through his arm right now. But uh, he's a, he's a competitive eater, master gurgitator, Scott Gardner. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry about that. I didn't say ma- master regurgitator. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Good. I'm doing good. <laughs> it's just dead air. Dead air. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm I'll I'm super excited. Post, for... man. Oh, okay. Yeah, you always <laughs> say that. Um I'm uh, I'm super excited about this episode. I'm excited because this is one of my favorite episodes of Classic Trek and uh, I'm really excited for uh, for Chris uh, to be joining us for this episode. So uh I'm always Thank I'm, you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> all <for> <laughs> And it starts <laughs> the, the battle of the Christmas. Surely you talk. Surely you're speaking of Mr. G. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> you, I can have any time. But... Yeah, I'm on the show. <laughs> if, if I'm not here, who's recording exactly? I think you're just happy to have somebody who's older than you guys on the show. That's true. That's true. That's also that's also a first. That's also a first. But I think. Um, I think we're going to have another one right after, so you just squeaked by on that milestone, too. Hey, the first one. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 when we list that on your your milestones, we'll list that one second. We know that you don't want that as, like, the top reason, you know, <laughs> your top accolade. But, he was able to live that long. Yes, yes. That's my top accolade. <laughs> uh so Scott, which which episode is this that you speak of? This is tomorrow is yesterday. This is the one for for people that remember back to when we did. Uh, what the hell was the other one with tomorrow in the title? See, the Star Trek. There's uh, was it at all least our yesterdays or uh, no, no, it was uh, uh, return to return tomorrow. tomorrow. See, there's. Yep. Several there's several episodes, at least three that I can think of off the top of my head that either have tomorrow or yesterday in the title, um, and so I have trouble keeping them all straight. When when to, uh, Return to Tomorrow originally came up, I was thinking you it was this. Excited yet? Yeah, which I, I mean I like that one too. That's a good one too, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. But this one is one I can definitely sink my teeth into. This is one of those ones that I remember, you know, staying up late, you know. And uh, and watching this, uh, you know, waiting for Star Trek to come on, and I can remember, uh, you know, I had my my uncle Gary ran a, a restaurant, and a lot of times I would go over when when the restaurant was closing up real late at night, you know. He didn't beat and it. He didn't beat it. Literally, that that is not a joke. That's the name of his restaurant. Um, was up uh, around the Fort Drum area. So if we have any uh, any military members, any uh, any army guys up in that area that, that go to that restaurant or know what we're talking about, yep, that was my uncle Gary's restaurant. Um, anyway, you know, so I'd go over there when they, when it was closing time and then you know wrapping up and everything. I'd go over and putter around, um, hang out with the guys and everything, and, and we would wait for Star Trek to come on as they were doing the the evening wrap up and the evening cleanup and all that. And this was one of those ones that as soon as it came on, I always knew exactly what episode it was. And I would wait for everybody else to catch up to speed, you know, to realize what episode it was. Because it starts really different from a Star Trek yeah. episode. You know, it's episode, the Enterprise has wound up back in the 1960s, having had some sort of space accident where they ran into a black star and basically got 
uh, had the slingshot effect, shoot them back in time. Kind of similar to if you, if you ever saw uh, Star Trek for the voyage home where they go around the sun and all that and go back and back and forward in time. Same type of thing here. They've wound up in the sixties and uh, fighter jets are scrambled because they're being picked up as a UFO. And as this one jet comes up on them and starts taking film and, you know, the guys uh, spotting the enterprise and all that, they uh, lock onto him with the tractor beam. And when they do, you know, of course, this is just a jet fighter. It's not made to be held out stationary like, you know, like a spaceship or something. It starts to break up. And so they're left with no choice but to bring the pilot aboard or the guy's going to going to die when the fighter plane breaks up. So they bring him aboard the ship and, uh, you know, Kirk introduces himself, shows the guy around and, you know, it's trying to be, uh, you know, trying to be hospitable to the guy. But pretty quickly, you know, Kirk and Spock come to the realization they can't send him back. You know, he knows too much about what the future looks like. And if they send him back, you know, it, it could potentially screw up their timeline and they can't have that. So. Uh, they decide to keep him aboard. You know, Spock does some checking on his computer and everything and, and determines that, you know, this guy didn't make any relevant contribution to history. So therein lies the, the basic conflict of the episode. Later on, Spock does some double checking and, and realizes he made an error in that he didn't take into account offspring of this guy. Turns out that his son is going to be a, a very significant person in um, Earth's space-faring history. And since this guy hasn't had a son yet, they have to send him back. So the, basically what unfolds is uh, Kirk and crew trying to, for one, cover their tracks, you know, with having been identified as ZUF, though they have to go down to the base and recover the uh, the film footage that was shot of them as a UFO and different things. And they also have to figure out a way to basically reintegrate um, Captain Christopher, the Air Force pilot, back into the whole, you know, send him back basically without screwing anything up. Um, that's it in a, in a very basic outline. Uh, it's just a fantastic episode. And uh, let's just get into discussing it. Um, We'll just we'll go around the room. We'll start with you, Chris G. What what are your thoughts on the initial thoughts on this episode? I'm with you. This is one of my favorites. Like I said in the form, um, this is just a fun episode all the way around. It's it's got a little bit of everything. You know, some action. You got and some humor. Um, it, it it held my attention when I first saw this. I remember watching this. And it was like, I mean, I liked all the Star Treks. You know, some more than others, obviously. But this was just a lot of fun. Um, you got some great moments between Kirk and Spock, and um, just you know, just a lot of fun. It was, and it was, and I know you um, in the opening credits how that whole bit with the uh, we were talking about this uh, where um, you didn't know at first this was a Star Trek episode because you saw the the spider scrambling and uh, and uh, and all that stuff, but then you got that great shot of the uh, on the underside of the Enterprise which you never yeah. see before or yeah. afterwards. Yeah, it's like wow, that was such a great shot. That's um, that's what's I'm, always stood out in my memory. That's like if there's a a photo snapshot in my memory of that show, it was that of the fighter pilot coming up underneath the Enterprise. Yeah, it just it uh, that was and, 
Yeah, and then plus, like I said, I, and there was enough touch of humor that it didn't seem forced. A lot of lot, things that made you chuckle, made you laugh, like that whole interrogation with Kirk, you know, like him just sitting there with his hands, you know, in front of his chest, going, you know, just trying <laughs> to bide his time, you know, like, you know, like when the, when the, when the, whatever, the captain or whatever says, what is that you're wearing? Is that some kind of uniform? And he looks at like, well, this is just something I threw on, you know, <laughs> um, you know. There were a lot of little moments like that, and just like I said, one of my favorites. It was just a good episode all the way around. Um, a couple of nitpicks I had, but we can go about that, go on that later. But <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. I, I'm curious to to hear because I, I always look up um, every episode that we do in the actual nitpickers guide to to see what you know. Because this guy has a has a great knack of making me feel like the most unobservant watcher you know of Star Trek <laughs> by going to there but he didn't other than uh something i'll touch on a little bit about the ending of the episode other than that i felt like these his nitpicks truly were i mean like nitpicks so i'm they weren't even worth really going over to me but I, i'm curious what what you had for nitpicks well one of the ones is um during the middle of the episode when um when uh no more towards the beginning where kirk realizes Captain Christopher was gone. He's all like, gets on the horn. He's all like, you know, gets called the security. And he tells him, send a man uh, to to um, to the transporter room to stand guard outside the transporter room. And then later on, you here comes the guard, walks past the transporter room, and then Christopher jumps him because you know this because as soon as he jumps him, he back he goes down the same corner. <laughs> right. The guy oh, just walked. Right. <laughs> You know, it's like, hello, the guy Kirk told you to stand guard in front of the transporter room, and you just like, do do do. I'll think I'll just stand over here. Actually, you know, uh, you know that just kind of made me laugh. Well, I uh, this one. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I've been watching these episodes. Whenever I can rope my kids into watching them with me, I, I do just so that I can try to get a, 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 a fresh pair of eyes on it. You know, because I've seen most of these a million times. So I've been trying to rope my kids in, you know, for for that different angle, and uh, and I cracked them up because the part where Kirk called security, you know, he he calls him and he says whatever he says, and I, you know, and I, he says the line something like Kirk to security, and then the guy goes, you know, security here, and I go, you suck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Enterprise is pitiful in the Kirk era. You yeah. know, these guys were awful. It wasn't until like. Warf and next generation that but they you ever got, got some decent. real badasses, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the guy comes around the corner and 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 Christopher just colcocks him. You know, it's like uh, that that security. And the guy's walking with his head down. He's all dum -de -dum -de -dum, and then he just gets clouded. You know, I mean, these are the same guys that Decker took out. You know, the man who'd been up for three days without <laughs> food or water can take out the security guards. You know, no problem. You know. <laughs> I mean, here's some guy in his obviously in his fifties taking out a twenty-year-old, and the twenty-year-old's rested, well-fed, and everything. And this guy has been like hadn't shaved and bathed in three days, and you know, been living on cold coffee. And suddenly he could take out security without any problem, you know. <laughs> yeah, I admit the security on the Enterprise sucked. You know, how many times did people take off in shuttlecrafts? You know, like oh, yeah, somebody's leaving. Oh, we'll close the doors. Yeah, I know. There, I can't remember what episode it is, but yeah, I was watching that one the other day where that happened. There, uh, they go, uh, yeah, so, uh, 
There's a, a shuttle leaving the hangar bay. We'll close the doors. Yeah. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, that's do- yeah, doomsday machine. That's the yeah, Decker that, again. That's you right. know, that's right. Yeah, because Spock just gives that perfect answer. Well, close the doors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not think about that. Um, let's see. Oh, my other nitpick. This is kind of a funny one because I remember watching this and and I saw these in uh, um, when they were syndicated for the first time. So I was like really young. I was in like. Uh, you know, grammar school yeah. age. And um, when they beam Christopher out of his jet, you got to realize the man is sitting down. And right. when he reappears, he's standing up. And nowhere else is this ever shown because there's, like, in the later in the episode, the guard who's, like, got Kirk and uh, Sulu at bay with his phaser, he appears in the exact same position when he beams up to the Enterprise. Why didn't Christopher fall on his butt? You know, like appear like sitting in position and some bam land on his butt. You well, know, I, I got a better one for you. I mean, I can almost sort of forgive that, yeah. but what I wonder about, and I've always wondered this since I was a kid, when he beams aboard, a portion of his uh, the oxygen. Uh, mask that he has yeah. on comes up. It's like Hooked the oxygen into the mask ship. Yeah, and yeah. then there's like a a portion of the of the of the tube yeah. that actually runs to the oxygen supply that would be in the cockpit. Right. So I'm wondering where does the 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 computer or whatever runs yeah. the transfer where does it make the decision that okay, I have to cut off something at some point. Maybe that's you know why I mean? you have a human running the transporter to make determinations yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. So well, if, if you look at it, it's not cut. It's the actual disconnected part yeah. where it connects into the ships. So it's like somebody disconnected it. Well because I mean, Scotty the did the or... transporting and he's a tech guy, so he did you know, he does it right, you know. He's like it I don't Kyle, do though. It I... wasn't it wasn't Scotty. Oh, you're it was right. Kyle. Well maybe Kyle yeah. takes pride in his work, you know. I don't do any of those <laughs> cut that cut off shit, you know. When I, it's a clean disconnect when I transport. You, okay, none of none of that, none of that Scotty shit. I don't hit the old, you know, sorry and brandy before my shift. Was Scotty yeah. in this episode? I can't remember. I Scotty, don't. yeah. Is he in this one? Yeah, yeah. Because you remember, um, he's um, he makes the comment about you know about the engines in the briefing room. Says, ah, don't worry about. There's nothing that my engines kind of handle. Oh, that's right. Because he has the buckling comment toward the end of the episode. Oh, too, that's yeah. right. Right. But yeah, uh, and- I, I see. I'm remiss because I was supposed to make note of these things um, for for a comment that I made about the upcoming movie. You know how they're this is basically yeah. the idealized crew. You know of the ship in the upcoming movie. And I forgot to note whether yeah. Sulu and and all of them were in this one too. I I totally check off the only one. Check yeah. off the only one that's not in this one. Sulu's in this. Uh, McCoy, Uhura, um, Spock, and Kirk. So and, and McCoy, you know, like I said, so all, everybody but check off again. Well, yeah. the check off didn't come around till later on. Yeah, yeah, second so. Yeah. I I notice well, this a lot when you see Uhura and, and I've been watching a lot of episodes and in this one too. Uhura really like when she's like chatting with somebody. She's really getting into it, you know. She's like looking up into their eyes, and sort of her body language is very come hither. And she's always just sort of yeah. like, there's a scene where I think she's talking to Captain Christopher, and and Kirk and Spock sort of, lead, and she's just sort of, um, she's she's checking yeah. him out. I that, that yeah, that, but that old Star Trek crew was a swinging crew, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, but but if you look carefully, she had such a bad weave in that episode, man. Her hair just looked horrible. <laughs> you see, you're watching the remastered ones. That's why. That's why. That's probably one of the drawbacks of remastering is you see the the bad makeup and the and the. You notice a lot of stuff that you know that was was forgiven by the crappy television that existed in the. In the <laughs> Most people had a tiny little black and white tube because. Uh, there's an episode that we'll we'll talk about later um, that I noticed something like that too that that comes with it being on the you know the crystal clear DVD of today that you would not have noticed years ago. <laughs> one one thing that uh, this has always been a nitpick of mine that uh, came up again when I was watching this is uh, I, I can't remember if you notice it or not in the scenes where they try to integrate the Enterprise and then the fighter plane footage, but. There's a shot on the bridge of the Enterprise, you know, where the, the they're looking at Earth on the main viewer. Right. And is absolutely no cloud cover at all. It yeah, looks it's like a, a globe. It's a globe. A globe, yeah. yeah. Well, that's to make sure you, you know, to make sure you know it's Earth. There it is. It's Earth. Remember, I there's know, a... but I mean, they can throw in a couple token clouds. And then <laughs> not a not a minute later, Spock makes a, makes a comment about... Um, there's a, a ship rapidly approaching from beneath cloud cover. And I'm yeah. going, what cloud cover? There is the no cloud cover. The entire world is clear today. That was a beautiful well, day. Well, if you look carefully on the bottom, there's a little thing that says Rand McNally exactly. on the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's got lines, <laughs> longitude and latitude lines on it. We're looking at Google Earth. <laughs> well, did you notice in the scene um, near the end when the Enterprise is warping out of Earth orbit, in the, um, in the original you know, uh, uh-huh. they they had such a trouble with the blue screen. Oh yeah, that you can actually see like the pixelation of the, the warp nacelles. So it right, yeah, like, yeah. I actually <laughs> that's like... actually one of my notes. One of, one of my nitpicks is when at the end when they're wobbling the Enterprise up and down, you can see a reflection of the base that they're holding the yep. onto the Enterprise oh, yeah. and wiggle. It just keeps catching the light. And I was watching it, and I'm like, why didn't they clean that up? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that would have been a huge pain in the ass to clean up back then, you know. They couldn't – in this one, you could just go through and digitally erase that in a second, you know. But with with, with that, they were just like, screw it. <laughs> yeah, I know that the, was when – I know yeah. the one you're talking about. The one the one Chris G's talking about, I, yeah, I definitely noticed it. This I, I've probably noticed it in, in prior viewings, but I definitely noticed it watching it again for this episode was uh, – it's a shot. The Earth – is behind the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is coming straight at you, the viewer. And it's one of those flybys where you as the viewer actually go between the, um, as you're looking at the Enterprise, it would be the left side nacelle and the and the engineering section. And it's like an entire section of, of the, uh, the effect is just like pixelated, and you can see right through the nacelle. It's like uh, a really bad blue screen effect. Uh-huh. It just... It, it totally fell apart as the ship gets closer to you. I know the exact scene he's talking about because it, it yeah. jumped right out at me. I was like, wow, that's really bad. <laughs> yeah, and the scene that Chris was talking about where they're um, they're doing the breakaway procedure, where yes. the, uh, the rough ride, where it just seems like the Enterprise just sort of pivots a little bit, like, yeah. and suddenly just turns on a dime real casual, like, oh, that's a real rough <laughs> breakaway procedure, you yeah. know? Somebody's hold, <laughs> holding it on a stick, and they've got, like, a slight, like, palsy to their hand. You know, and yeah. that's about yeah. it. Some teamsters out there going, "Oh, will you hurry up with this! I gotta turn this." You know. Now, have either of you guys seen the enhanced version of this particular episode? No. 
Not of this one, no. I, but I'm, uh, I'm sure they probably fixed it. You know, I I, I dismiss those those uh, enhanced things because I I I feel so you, bit in the ass. Star Wars, the yeah. special edition, and particularly one that I thought was atrocious was uh, E.T., the special edition. But mm -hmm. I'm really curious to check this out because according to the wiki that I, I took a peek at today, they remastered the entire end whiplash sequence to really feel more like it, it was presented in uh, The Voyage Home. So I'm really curious to see that. You know, with with the enhanced effects and all. So if I ever get my hands on that, I'll have to check it out and I'll, I'll report back and let you guys know what it what it looked like. There's a local station here in the Bay Area that plays them late at night on Sundays. So I've seen a lot of them. They do a really good job. They they dance that fine line between destroying what you remember and 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 and, and adding into it. Yeah. They do things. Some things are real small. Like like why would you bother? Like in Arena, you actually see the Gorn blink. Blink, yeah, I have seen that on YouTube. I, somebody yeah. posted just that one scene. Well, and I'm wondering if it might be the same guys that um, – I don't know if you've seen the uh, – I forget what they call it. I think they call it the Director's Cut. I forget. There's a special edition two-disc version of Star Trek The Motion Picture that's out. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they call it the Director's Cut. Yeah. And they went in and basically – what what they said they did was that they finished the movie, but basically they went in they and and they did like a George Lucas special edition type treatment. But I'm telling you, man, it worked. It's it's seamless. It's beautiful. Nothing jumps out and slaps you. It all feels like this movie was filmed in '79. And yeah, so if, if I, they did the same thing with these enhanced older episodes, I'm curious to check it out because they they were very respectful with with uh, the motion picture. Yeah, I, I have that copy also. And yeah, they were very respectful, but they went a little bit farther because some things they just wanted to change. Like, it's no longer the same two planets that they always in orbit in the exact same pattern. They've changed the background planets, you know, the ones, you know, the between scenes, you know, where you show the yep. Enterprise going huh. from left to right or around the, you know, the around the planet. Now, sometimes you see it from different angles and it's uh, always a different planet and, and it looks more realistic. That's you cool. Know, uh, yeah. Um, they've changed some of this flyby scenes where you could see the Enterprise, sort of like what you saw in the uh, Deep Space Nine episode. With uh, yeah. where they did the uh, more troubles, more troubles, or I forget what it was, or troubles Trials and tribulations. tribulations. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, where you got the computer enterprise. So they were very respectful. They changed some things. They made something, and they just everything was is just really better. They've never did anything that changed the story, or or like or you felt like it was a total waste. I mean, there were a couple things like again in that arena. You could actually see the Gorn's blood on the body, on his body, where after oh. he was fighting Kirk. Um, things like that. Um, they've changed. We mentioned, I mentioned earlier to you about the Doomsday episode where they rescaled the Enterprise so it didn't look like it was almost the same size as the, uh, the Doomsday weapon. Because you remember when the Constellation went into the, into the big maw of the Doomsday, it seemed like it was Huge. almost as big as that. Yeah. Yeah. But, now and then, but if you remember Spock's comment, he said that you know a thousand yeah. starships could fit in there. You know, right? So you got that feeling. So they did a good job, and I would recommend it. I don't know if if I would buy them because I've got the new the the set that came out a few years ago. Uh, but if I hadn't bought that one, I probably would have bought these enhanced ones. 
But anyway, going back to our episode we're talking about <laughs> to derail us. That's okay. Uh, that's my a, last that's a specialty on our show. Oh, yeah. The tangent. yeah. <laughs> All about the tangent. <laughs> but uh, my last nitpick has got to be something just, just always bothered me. And they did this in this episode and in uh, The Naked Time. Again, we were saying that this was that was the first part and this was the second part originally. Why do the clocks run backwards? They're mechanical. <laughs> I mean, they're exactly. not—they're not moving backwards. You know, uh-huh. the people are not moving backwards in the state on the on the on the bridge. So why does the clock move backwards? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I are feel you. Are there watches that... moving backward at the same time? You know, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I think sometimes I've up? heard. So. <laughs> I think Is there like, like a you know galactic clock that they're hooked up to that it just runs. Yeah. That, I guess that's kind of my theory on the whole thing is somehow there's some sort of stationary actual time atomic clock out there that they're, that they're tied to somehow, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But, uh, you know, sometimes I think on this show that I, I, I've earned the episode of or, or, you know, earned the uh, distinction rather of being very uh, unforgiving of things. But I must be very forgiving because I love this episode and can't find fault in it. But really, when you examine it closely – the entire end of this episode is pretty bad because once they decide to 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 slingshot around the sun, the lot the internal logic of the show kind of falls apart because I've never understood the beaming uh, Captain Christopher and the security guard back into their own. That never made any sense. And then not only that do they was... beam them back into their bodies, but then. The Enterprise disappears from from Christopher's vision. It's a, suddenly it's no longer there, and then you're left to assume that the security guard doesn't then run into Kirk and Sulu on their little uh, reconnaissance mission right. down at the base. So I'm like, all right, I can understand beaming them back into their own bodies to to line them back up with where they're supposed to be. But what the hell's the deal with all of a sudden the Enterprise? Was never there. I, that has never made any sense to me. I, I, I don't get it. Well, here's another one. When the when he beams the guard back, you remember, spot, uh, Kirk had to use that high tech lock pick to open, unlock the door. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that... if you watch you watch the scene. The guard does not unlock the door. He just sort of reaches for the doorknob and opens it up. So, did he leave the door unlocked? So there's proof that they were there. Or what <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kirk didn't know to actually turn the knob. You know, he he. You know, he, they come from this advanced century where the doors open themselves. So he had to use the little thingy. I don't. I don't. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. I never caught that before. Well, it reminded me of Doctor Who, and Doctor Who had like the sonic screwdriver that would do everything. You know, <laughs> let me pull out the sonic screwdriver, and boom, it would whatever to pick this lock or you know to knock this person out. But. Really, I mean, the beaming people back into themselves, and that and that gets back again to Christopher sitting and standing. But that was one of my things that I've always wondered about. This, it's like, okay, they beam them, just you know what they, you know, how does what are they actually? Does that mean they're just beaming their consciousness in or something? You know, in a process of because can you you know can I. Can you beam someone into – and when they beam Christopher and you can – if you notice, I don't know on the fixed version, but um, you know, it's an optical print shot. So they just freeze the frame. So you see actually a piece of dust on the screen just stop and there's like this blob 
up on the screen. <laughs> so when they're done beaming, all of a sudden the bloop, the blob disappears and it's back in in motion. <laughs> but just in the first place, this is what always screws me up about uh, this stuff is, all right, the Enterprise is on a mission somewhere in space somewhere. They get whipped back in time to Earth, their planet of origin out of all of space. They were already headed in that general direction, though. Oh. It, it's, oh. It does have a of, yeah, because I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, that, that was actually on my mind when I started to watch this episode as I was like, because I had the same thought. Well, how the Why hell is did it they wind Earth? up back yeah. But they were all right. They were actually on their way in that general direction. And I mean, we're really lucky uh, it wasn't Nazi Germany, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I, I it doesn't matter because they got to do I'm, Nazi Germany on another Earth somewhere else anyway. <laughs> yeah, patterns of force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other Earths out there yeah. with Nazis and sure. Greeks and Romans and. I'm sorry, Christy. What were you? What were you about oh, to say? I would say, I would say, I say. You don't take me. Get me wrong. I love this episode. Oh, yeah, episode. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I just the nitpicks are almost fun because you're like, well, did you catch this? Like you just mentioned, uh, you know, the Nazi Germany one. Well, why were they able to make uniforms with Nazi Germany ones and go down and beam on the planet, blend in with the people? In the Return of the Archons, <laughs> they were to make those outfits. Well, why couldn't they make an Air Force outfit and since Kirk and Sulu down in their regular Starfleet exactly. outfit. Exactly. They couldn't send them in like a janitor outfit, you know, and be like inconspicuous, you know, like, oh, we're just here to empty the trash. Don't mind us taking these reels of film. You know, yeah, la, yeah. La, la. No, they send them down Star Trek outfits, you know. Mm. <laughs> and and why and and for that matter, why can they just met Mister, you know, Captain Christopher with a hypo full of knockout happy drug? You know, or, or better yet, why couldn't they just put on little green man masks and gone down and been like, bleep, 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 hit him with the hypo and then just beamed him down into a field somewhere naked, you know, with his butt sore yeah. and have him wake up. And they'd be like, what happened? I don't know. Well, bleep, 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 but then my butt hurts. And then they said, okay, you're on retirement. And that's that, you know, it gets filed yeah, away destroy somewhere. Destroy his career, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, <laughs> well, yeah. it's better than killing him. I meant to bring up this, you know, that that uh, I'm glad you you said that. Instead, I, Kirk I, I gives him a tour of the ship. Him. Come on, come with me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Captain Kirk. I'm from your future. Come with me. <laughs> oh, maybe I, I shouldn't I have told him that. <laughs> I forgot to put this in my notes. I'm really glad you brought that up because I I'd feel remiss if if this never came up in the conversation. All right. I think one of the reasons that I really, really have always liked this episode is I, I can't remember another episode where I ever got a sinister vibe off of Captain Kirk for the, for the first time. He's not very heroic in the very beginning of this one, because when, when the decision is made not to send Christopher back, suddenly Kirk is cast in the role of, of a pretty good, Pretty much pretty a bad dick. guy. Really. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of cold-hearted about it. Well, you know? I mean, he screwed. He screwed up. And, you back, you know? He screwed up, and now this guy's got to leave his wife and kids to live in the future. And Kirk's exactly. almost got the uh, yeah. like the attitude of like, well, you're gonna learn to love the future. <laughs> Future's kind of <laughs> cool, though. <laughs> I guess my question: Do you really think Kirk would have gone through? I mean, if it had turned out that Spock was right. They had to keep the guy. He didn't make a relative contribution. They weren't. Uh, did, were they really never going to send the guy back? 
mean, do you think Kirk was was uh, he seemed resolute be. in that decision? He seemed to be. The I, only I thing so. that changed you know, his mind was the fact that they had to send him back. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty cold when you think about it, though. I mean, you, you don't usually think of Kirk in those terms as being, you know, really kind of kind of cold-hearted. But in this particular one, at least in that it's scene, up until, like you cold-hearted in the way say, a captain has to be. You know, if you're a captain of a – if you're doing shit like that in – the context that Kirk does, well, you're this... running into situations where sometimes you're going to have to make hard, cold decisions that might even kill people, you know, have people die in the, in the mix. So yeah, he made, he made a lot of bad decisions in this episode. It almost seems like the uh-huh. uh, whole time travel thing kind of threw him for a loop. Cause you know, like the whole bit where the transporter, I mean, the, 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 uh, Oh God, it's drew a blank. Uh, the freaking um, the, the not the deflector the um, tractor, tractor beam, beam. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I mean ru- destroys that ship beams it, the guy and like you said takes the guy on a trip you know through the show to the through the Enterprise you're like oh here's over here now check out that chick over here in that short skirt yeah yeah, yeah look at her and oh her, why don't you tell him about everything on the bridge uh-huh. you know? in, in his defense if if I'm not mistaken and I, I please correct me if I'm wrong but if if I'm not mistaken other than briefly going back what uh, three days or something at, at the end of naked time this is basically the first time travel episode right right so i mean up until this point there weren't you know later we see like in uh in deep space nine with the uh, trials and tribulations that there's actually a, a branch of starfleet that deals with shit like this but up until this point you know, there were no time directives or any, you know, like they have a prime directive, but later on they come up with basically a time directive on how you're supposed to deal with temporal events. And, you know, I mean, Kirk's kind of winging it. So, I mean, I'll forgive that because, you know, this, this is a a whole new area of, of space problems, you know? So I'll forgive it up to that point. Well, Kirk's impulsive too. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he does, you know, make some pretty big blunders. You know, the the, the thing with the tractor beam, I think that, you know, it, yes, it's his fault. But at the same rate, you know, it, it wasn't really until Spock, you know, pipes up and says, well, wait a minute, that might not be a good idea. Well, by that time, it's too late. You know, he's already given yeah. the order. And it's already been implemented. So, you know, they do turn it off right away, but it's already too late. You know, the, the damage has been done by that point. Well, that's what I mean. But going back to your question, being kind of sinister, you know, he's—I think he's having a little trouble with it. You know, it wasn't until yeah. uh, what? So we saw the city on the edge of forever. Did they actually do any real time travel? And that's when he started learning more about the consequences. One thing the McCoy did changed the future, and suddenly there's no Starfleet. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I'll forgive him for all the mistakes. You know, which to me it makes it look a little bit better. I mean, yeah, you know, he's not perfect. You know, yeah, he's you human. Know, he's gonna make mistakes. Yeah, so I guess it's a little bit sinister to me because that part where they bring Captain Christopher to Kirk's quarters and Kirk basically tells him, we can't send you back. You know, I I realize that part of it is just Shatner and it's part of Kirk's personality to to try to, you know, be very personable with people, to put people at ease. You know, he's got a little bit of the smart ass in him. But up until he actually says, I'm sorry, 
if you watch that scene very carefully, a lot of his lines are delivered with kind of that that Kirk twinkle in his, you know, that kind of smirk on his face. So he yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. come across as particularly sorry that that he's going to have to tell this guy, I, we're not sending you back. And up until he actually says the line, I'm sorry, he, he doesn't come across as sorry. Uh-huh. He kinda comes across, yeah. as, like I said, he comes across a little bit sinister as, wow, are you serious? You're, you're, you're going to, you know, screw this guy over and not let him go home? Yeah. And, well, what about McCoy? You know, when he um, when they had that thing where they're talking in the in sick bay, where he was all saying, you know, well, maybe we can bring him to the future, and you know, and retrain him, and you know, Kirk has that great line, you know, where he kind of says, well, can we train him to forget his family? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that they they a lot of stuff they cover that you know, it's sort of implied, you know, like wow, there is a real moral dilemma here, right? You know, so it's it's but it's it's all the way a good episode. Oh, one of my favorites, like I said before. Um, it, there's um, so many other things you could talk about in this episode. You know, uh, <laughs> a lot what of other little favorite lines or favorite moments. Do you have in this one? Because I I think I know my my absolute favorite line in this episode. I'm curious what uh what yours might be. <sighs> favorite lines? Uh, there's well, of course, there's the classic. You know, I'm gonna lock you up for two hundred years. And, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. about right. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something I noticed in that whole interrogation. I just noticed it today for the first time. I was rewatching this episode when they're during the interrogation. When the um, when the I don't know what he was a captain or a sergeant or whatever who's interrogating him, and he picks up the phaser, and Kirk's giving that whole "You better be careful, or you have a bigger mystery." And when he tosses it, he winces. Yeah, he winces yeah. like, oh, like, like the, there's that whole, whole crap moment. Like, I'm just about to get zapped. Yeah. You know? And the other uh, guy's like um, looking down the barrel, of course, looking down the barrel and like sniffing it and scratching his ear yeah. with it and sticking it down his pants. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you know. Uh, and there was another thing where this is the first time we actually get to see this, and and it's it's referenced later on. Um, I think in actually next gen or, or Deep Space Nine, but how the Vulcan mind works, where Spock is doing his calculations at the transporter room, Love and Quay's all like, "Shouldn't you be doing your calculations?" He's like, "I am." <laughs> like he can act, and, and no, I think it was referenced in a, one of the Star Trek books that the Vulcans can compartmentalize their brain, where one section is doing one thing, and another section can be doing another. That's why you see when he's in the. Um, in the voyage home where he's doing that test on the computer and he's running all the, he's doing all three or four at the same time because he can oh, right. actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, the last thing, this is just something I noticed that I don't know if it's a favorite moment, but it's just something I noticed that maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you know how we're all talking about how Spock screwed up and he just didn't realize that the check for Christopher, Captain Christopher's, offspring you know what they did uh-huh it wasn't until christopher mentioned that he had a wife and two kids that you see this look on spock's face like oh shit to <laughs> check on the kids you know <laughs> and that's when he comes back later on saying captain i need to talk to you you know and, you know whether that was written was a nimoy just being reacting to the scene or whatnot but after you know what's going on it really adds something to it like damn Spock screwed up and he realized he screwed up you know well that's the thing that always <laughs> makes Star Trek work is the acting it's it's yep. it's yeah. the it's the you know the actors and the characters you know the special effects and all that 
are always, you know, I always remember those and they're always good, but it's always the interactions and the, with the characters that, that, at, you know, add to it. One, one of my favorite little moments in this is when Kirk and Sulu, you know, beam down and they're, they're walking down the hallway and, uh, they both just look over and there's a, there's a cork board there, a bulletin board with, with, you know, bulletins all over it, and Kirk just sort of motions to it to Sulu and Sulu, and they're look, you know, looking at it like, look, paper. <laughs> they used paper and stuck it on the walls. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, there's just a sort of moment like, you know, like if you were, you know, if you if 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 we went back to like ancient Egypt and had one of those moments like, look, it's just like in the museum. <laughs> look, yeah. they're writing yeah. stuff on it's the just wall. Like it- yeah, I know. It'd be, yeah, it's kind of that's a, that was cool. Um, I think that's the whole a chicken test. soup. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I love. I the like chicken that. soup. That <laughs> the look, you know, it's it's priceless. Some of those just, it's, I think it's mostly the comedy scenes that really are my favorites in most of the Star Trek episodes. You just now the you know, chicken soup thing it, raises a question though that I've always wondered is how does that work? Is that a replicator like we see in Next Gen? Or yeah. is there is there a, a dude somewhere down in some galley that <laughs> whips you know, it up really the, fast? <laughs> because you see a galley later on on in Kirk's era, you know I I didn't think that the replicator thing was supposed to be part of of the Kirk era Enterprise. I thought that was a thing that came along later, but just the fact of you know Kyle slides the card in and like a second later they've got chicken soup implies that somehow, you know it was it was beamed in or, or materialized like a replicator so you know what which is it i i'm not sure i, I think it's a replicator because they uh, uh you know, remember in like, troubles and tribbles they get into the food processors and suddenly kirk's chicken salad sandwich is filled with tribbles and spock's little plate of food cubes are filled with um with tribbles but I think it's more of a they didn't have as many choices, probably not a lot processed. Because yeah, you're right. You see him holding like five or six little cassettes painted right. red and stuff, right. like that, and he just slides the right one in. Because he he even kind of looks at it like, okay, here's the uh, soup one, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I think it's a replicator, in a, but a, not as good as the next gen type replicator where it could produce anything that's you know. From everything from tomato soup to, uh, you know, Earl Grey tea, you know, hot. <laughs> so. Chris, did uh, did you have a favorite moment in this episode or favorite moments? Well, my fa- I mean, my favorite, favorite part of this is always, like you said, the beginning at the, the, the reveal at the beginning where it starts out looking like it's some military based show, you know, it's jet scrambling and and then that it could have been the six million dollar man right or something. for for all you know it's <laughs> rah, 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 and scrambling jets and then you and then you hear the music and and see the ship and it's that's i mean that oh when i was a kid that always like because i it, i had never seen the enterprise from that angle it's and and it and it, and the thought of the enterprise existing somewhat in the same time period as you know in modern times was just and and somehow being tied into ufos which was something i was also really into when i was a little kid just you know that that made it a a a favorite episode of mine and of course you know i was so young when i was when i was first seeing these that I always got really, you know, involved in the story. So I really believed everybody was going to die or, you know, whatever was going to happen. So this one was, 
this one was just a great one. I always remember that, like, from when I was a little kid, my two of my favorite ones, and I tape recorded both of them were this one and uh, a piece of the action, which was another <laughs> one that was very comedic. You know, mm -hmm. it had a, had a lot of great, you know, and uh, had Mel in it. <laughs> from, uh, Mel Steiner. <laughs> And uh, another thing that we haven't mentioned, though, is this one just sort of, for some reason, I don't know if they, I don't really think that they explained it as being something that happened because of, you know, damage during the time flux or something. But the computer had, was, was experiencing personality problems and was being, <laughs> like, was being very, you know, romantic to Kurt. What was she calling him? Like Captain Baby or Captain okay. Darling or... Deer. Captain Deer, and uh, yeah. and they they sort of they sort of write it off like um, the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh well, <laughs> you know they wanted to put a female, or you know it came from whoever made it was a very female centric planet, so they made it with a female voice. And uh, there's a scene where he sort of chides the computer, he sort of um, yells at the computer and. And she has this dejected answer, and and it was at that moment that you know, because I was wondering, is this, uh, you know, is this uh, Miguel Barrett, Barrett, doing the voice on this because it's different. And then as soon as I heard that dejected, com pouting computer voice, you know, she sounded like Loxana Troy. Exactly, you know, it sounded exact, and I was just like, oh, it sure is. So that that was interesting. Dear. Yes. And, uh, I just read a book. I'm trying to remember what book it was. There was a part. Oh, I think it's Ex Machina. I think it's the book I'm reading now. There was a moment between Dr. McCoy and uh, and Dr. She becomes doctor by the time of the movie. So she's Dr. Chapel in the book that I'm reading. And he makes some comment to her. I can't remember what he says. And she goes, do I sound like the computer to you? <laughs> and it, you know, I I loved it because it was a little in little joke nice because she was joke. actually Doctor Chapel or, or Nurse Chapel, and she was the voice of the computer. Later on, he makes another comment, and she says something. Her reaction is something like, uh, "Do I sound like somebody's?" He, I think she's she's mothering him, or or you know, like being kind of like a motherly to him, right. you know, like worrying about him or something. And he she makes the comment, or he makes a comment, and then she says, "Well." Do I sound like I'm somebody's mother? Which again was a you know a call uh, an in joke, a callback to the fact that she was both Nurse Chapel and Locks on a Troy, and I just I loved that little moment, and it, and it came at a at a, a, a time for me when, uh, you know, as I'm reading this book, um, Major Barrett Roddenberry in, in real life she just died, um, just a little over uh, a little under a month ago as we record this episode and uh so i just wanted to mention that that you know in, in case any fans out there hadn't heard the news or whatever I, or even if you had i just wanted to mention it that that we were aware of it and uh, and very saddened by the loss I, I really liked her and uh i liked her a lot even though she didn't have much to do in the first uh Star Trek movie. I, I wish that she she had continued. She kind of fell to the background after that that yeah. first movie. But uh, I always liked her. I always thought she was a a really good actress, and I, you know I liked her in all the roles that she she did. But I particularly liked her as as Doctor Chapel in the first movie. Yeah, she was a great lady. I met her in a con once. She's oh, just yeah. she's just the nicest. She was very friendly to the fans. She she didn't. 
she didn't act like you know like she was better she really really respected the fans and she gave it all to them you know she she was very open to them she's she was really super late um, um, we are having technical difficulties we will be back in just a minute so listen to this while we fix shit maintenance note my recording computer has a serious malfunction recommended either be corrected or scrapped compute computed everyone's a captain kirk i'm captain kirk and now sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of vintage kirk brought to you by master of motor william shatner how did you get in I popped in out of thin air. You seem to think this is some kind of a game. No, Colonel, I know it's no game. All right, what did you say your name was? For the fourth time, my name is James T. Kirk. And how did you get inside a top security installation, James T. Kirk? I told you you wouldn't believe me. Uh, Colonel, would you mind being careful with that? Oh, that worries you a little bit, huh? What is that, a radio? Transmitter of some kind? Of some kind. You can be more specific than that, Kirk. I don't like mysteries. You don't stop being careless with that, and you'll have one. A big one. I'll have it disassembled and examined. We are not dummies, mister. We know how to find out things we want to know. What is that? Is that a uniform of some kind? This little thing? Something I slipped on. Kirk, maybe you don't realize how serious this is. Sabotage of a government installation. Did I sabotage something? No, we stopped you in time. But what would you have done if we hadn't found you? Believe me, Colonel, nothing at all. Is that what you're here for? Nothing at all? That's what would have happened if you hadn't interfered. All right, Kirk, maybe this will make you laugh. Sabotage, espionage, unauthorized entry, burglary. How are those for starters? And I can think of lots more if you don't start talking. All right, Colonel. The truth is, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centuria. A beautiful place. You ought to see it. I am going to lock you up for 200 years. That ought to be just about right. Please allow two to three hours before driving after enjoying your vintage Kirk. And now, back to two true freaks. Okay, we are back from an impromptu break. We had an equipment malfunction, and uh, while you can't tell, it is actually 24 hours later than when you yeah. heard us just a couple minutes ago before the uh, before the break. Anyway, what we were starting to get into was, uh, you know, continuing our discussion of this episode and just Trek in general. We were uh, talking about uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry, who sadly just died uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, she of course in, in this episode played uh, played Nurse Chapel and was Nurse Chapel on the on the classic series. You know, eventually promoted to Doctor Chapel in the first movie, and uh, you know she was uh, Loxana Troy on Next Gen. She was the voice of the computer in all the Star Trek 
shows, including uh, the the upcoming movie. She also came back and, and did the voice of the computer again for that. So, um, Chris, there was something that you had brought up about her in this episode with the computer, right? Right. Well, the computer was all um, in this episode. I don't know whether it was time flux or something, but the computer had a really um, sultry female personality. She was what was she called? She was calling him Captain Deer. Yes, Captain Deer. Yeah, Deer. Yeah. She was all flirty yeah. with him, and and he was, you know, sort of getting a little annoyed with it. And I think he he sort of made a little mean um, remark to her and. She had a sort of, you know, sulky reply to it. And when she did that, she totally sounded like Luxana Troy. It was a dead giveaway that, that it was her, you know. It sounded like a line delivered by Luxana Troy. And, uh, yeah, that's when when he gave the maintenance note. When she he was annoyed, being annoyed by her, he was like, maintenance note. There's something yeah, that's wrong with right. my recording device, you know. Either it'd be repaired or scrapped. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. <laughs> Record. Recorded, dear. Yeah. <laughs> there was just a little ploy to her voice. It was like Loxana Troy, and uh, I, I always liked the character. I think Loxana Troy is my favorite of her characters because I thought she was a very, she added a lot to the Deanna Troy character, who I always found kind of like, you know, I would if I was on the Enterprise, I would have liked her, but I wouldn't want to be around her all the time it would get kind of annoying having someone who totally knew what you were feeling at all times and was you know constantly trying me personally it would it would annoy the hell out of me so and and i think and you know her her mom was a bit more bombastic and less new agey she was still had the the or as i like to pronounce it newage you know <laughs> so her mom was a little bit more newagey and or her, you know, or, um, Deanna was a little more newagey, and her mom has was you know older, still, still had that touchy feely sort of. Uh, well, you're out in San Francisco, Mister G. You know that West Coast uh, newagey sort of, <laughs> yeah. sort of feeling. Like that. What, what I liked people. about her was the interaction with her with Deanna herself. It was just so classic mother daughter. Like you right. could almost hear her go, "Mom," yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, you're such a prude, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. And and the, do- yeah, the daughter is was... the relatively prudish one, you know, compared to the mom, or yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, so... yeah, I can see what you're saying. It was fun what, watching those two interact. Yeah, she was definitely over the top when um, when she was playing Lux Waxwana. You know, <laughs> I did like that character a lot. But it, it, it's, it's so I'm... funny because she. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Oh, I was just saying because you know she's got different roles. And they and she plays all of them equally well, but it, they're so different. You know, you've got yeah. the nurse chapel, doctor chapel, the lovesick for Spock uh, woman. You know, who was you know competent, but you know who you know she's a good nurse and a good doctor. Then you've got the number one, the, the basically a, you know the pre Spock, and then you got Luxana. You know, it was like amazing that she played all three roles and she did all well, all the roles equally as well, and, and completely you, they were all believable. Yeah, yeah, they were all different. Yeah, number... Completely, yeah. Yeah, I, I really liked uh, number one. I wish we had gotten more of her. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I was looking on uh, on uh, previews today, and there's a, a series that's just starting up by I think it's IDW. 
um, called it's Star Trek Crew or Star Trek The Crew, something like that. In the first issue, uh, solicits were saying that it's basically the the backstory of this number one character. It's set like I think it was eight years before the Cage or something like that. I, I didn't order it just because of the price of it. It was a little bit pricey for me, but it does look interesting. It might be something I'll. I'll track down later try to get it cheaper but it, right. it did look kind of kind of neat and I, that was a character that I, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of I, I think that you know there, there was probably an interesting story there you know because with her being kind of the 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 proto Vulcan character before you know a, after they kind of wrote her out after the cage and, and you know basically took her character traits and, and gave them to Spock and made him you know not only the token alien, but now he was the alien with the with the whole logic thing going on that right. was originally her stick in that well, first episode. Well, you know, I think that that character sort of found itself was was expressed again with Savick in Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. and uh, who was who was referred to as Mister Savick. Yeah, to that's which, true. Which but you, it was sort yeah, of the same. And you got to give it to you. You got to give it to Roddenberry too, because I mean. Think about the time he, when Star Trek was originally coming out, he put the second in command a woman. You know, right? That right. That, that took a lot of guts on his part. You know, he was bucking the system. I think that was sort I, of his thing too. I think he really was setting out to do that as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, there's a there's know, a great little tribute to her multiple roles in the book that I'm I'm reading right now. It's called uh, Ex Machina, and. uh there's a nice little moment between um, Dr. McCoy and, and Dr. Chapel where uh, McCoy makes some, some sort of comment about something she says. And she says, well, do I sound like the computer to you? Which is a nice little <laughs> in-joke because she was also the voice of the computer. And then later they're, they're talking and she makes some motherly type comment to him or, or whatever. And he has some comeback and she says, well, do I sound like somebody's mother to yeah. you? And again – Another end joke because she was somebody's mother. She was, you know, Deanna's mother. So it, it, it was just a cute little, you know, in jokey type of thing. But it, it was a nice nod to the fact that she had been such a versatile, versatile actress in Star Trek and, and done so many roles. I got a real kick out of that. Yeah. Sounds like the one they did on uh, uh, Next Generation where she had that little argument with the computer. So she was arguing with herself. Oh, that's that right. Funny. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, she was. She was like I said. She was. A, she seemed like a really nice lady. Um, so you know, I'm. I'm. I was saddened to hear her, her, her passing. You know, and like I'm sure, like all the rest of the Star Trek fans, you know, she, we all we all miss her. You know, so she was. She was good. Uh, she was just a really nice person, really nice lady, and and like I said, she did a great job on the show. I and can't. I cannot fault any of her performances. Well, maybe a little bit on that naked time where she was a little too lovey-dovey for Spock on that one, you know. Yes, Mr. <laughs> like, Spock. I think, that, I think that was all for the. I think that was the writer for the purpose of the story, you know. To make and and you know, yeah, they, they that they sort of, you know, because, she, you know, I mean, it was all sort of subtext that you, you could tell that she liked Spock, but it was pretty subtle until that that episode was the most, you know, overt. But it, it, it also it was also her one chance, you know, her being a nurse, she probably understood really well that that was her one chance <laughs> with, <laughs> in, with Vulcan physiology. You know, if there's going to be a chance, 
this is it right now. So that not another the drunken one. booty call. Right. There's exactly. There's not going to be another opening in for seven years before these planets line up. And you know, she you know she might have been waiting for six years. She might have been planning. You know? And uh, yeah, now it's time to make that Vulcan chicken soup. But you know he's having the, you know he's having like the the you know basically the Vulcan version of PMS at that point and he like throws it at it. this you call this soup <laughs> take it back uh, <laughs> oh wow that's good well, getting be- back to this yeah. particular episode yeah, um <laughs> tomorrow is yesterday well, one of the things i wanted to point out is that um there, there was actually a uh, a sequel of sorts to this um, during uh, DC Comics' first Star Trek series that they did for the 20th anniversary of Star Trek. Um, in let's see, it was issue number 33 of DC's run. They did a story, and uh, I'm trying to pull up the the cover image here so I can say, okay, it was uh, written by Len Len Wein. Um, art by uh, Sutton and uh, Villa, Villa Grand, I believe is how you pronounce the guy's name. The art on this issue, and, and sadly for most of this series, I think, was a little bit lacking. But if you can get past the art, this was a fantastic story where the story starts where this episode finishes, where you know they've used the slingshot effect to get back to their own time. But what happens in this story is they they don't they're not able to break fast enough and they overshoot their destination by twenty years. So they wind up twenty years in their own future. So it's Kirk and the classic crew of, of this episode meets Kirk and crew of the movies, you know, circa the era right between Star Trek two and Star Trek three. And it was just, it was a lot of fun, just a really good, you know, anniversary tale type of thing. Um, You know, seeing the two, you know, essentially the two same crews, but at at 20 year differences, you know, and and comparing notes and how they interact with each other. It was just a lot of fun. So, you know, if you like crossover stories and stuff like that, you know, time travel and all that kind of thing with your, with your Star Trek, like I do, that that's one to seek out. That was really a cool tale. And, uh, so did the uh, did the old Kirk ask the new Kirk, you know, like, the, what happened to my hair? <laughs> Why is it all? <laughs> I used to have straight hair. Now what's this Chia pet look? You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> Do I have a stylist? <laughs> hey, have I we remember, been skipping the gym? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened to Morty? He was our trainer. What happened to him? <laughs> Well then, uh, IDW. I didn't read this one either, but uh, IDW, their their recent series with Gary Seven. Well, I think was it called Assignment Earth or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, Assignment uh, Earth. That one, yeah, that one kind of tied into this episode somewhat too. Yeah, briefly, they they showed a scene where um, Seven and Roberta are on that Omaha um, military base, and they're you know they can they actually see Kirk and Sulu. Uh, when they were stealthing around and and so they interacted very lightly, very small. This is only a couple of panels. That that whole issue was them bopping through time, and they kept running into the uh, to things like that. So it wasn't too major. So it's I mean, a little throwaway it, gag. 
Yeah, so, yeah, a little throwaway gag. Like like you're saying, like a little homage, you know, almost like, oh, you remember this episode? Well, uh, we were involved in that episode too. You know, that was sort of it. Sort of like uh, like you were saying in um, in the book where they kind of like touched a little, oh, uh, I'm, who, I'm not your mother, um, you know, uh, right. who am I, that kind of thing. So nothing major, but it, it was fun to see and, and it's great John Byrne artwork, so I'm loving it. It was a it was a fun series. It was one one of my favorites um, as it was coming out of all the IDW Star Trek titles. So, but um, I I mean if you I wouldn't rush out and be like oh my god I gotta have this one. No, if you're if you're that big of a fan of this episode, so I would say pass on it unless you could find it cheap in someone in a quarter bin or a dollar bin someplace. Well, I love Star Trek, and I love me some John Byrne, so eventually I'm going to have to track all this stuff he's been doing for IDW down and check it out. Is this – so yeah, he, he were, did a lot of the – How recently was this done? Uh, oh, this past year. year. Oh, okay. So yeah. I didn't know John Byrne was still doing stuff recently. Oh, yeah. 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 He doesn't do so much stuff for the big two anymore, but, yeah, he's still active in comics. Oh, good. And you know, back in the day, he did a lot of the illustrations for the two – I think it was just two issues. It was the Who's Who in Star Trek that DC put out back when the, they had the license to do the Star Trek comics. He did a mm-hmm. lot of the illustrations for, for that uh, – for those uh, volumes, and uh, I liked his stuff a lot. I mean I've always been a big Burn fan anyway, but yeah, I'm going to have to check that stuff out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's been traded yet or not, but uh, definitely one of those things. That if you saw it in trade, I'd probably pick it up because it, each each issue is pretty much a standalone, so uh-huh. you don't. It's no big deal, but it's just fun, you know. And, and I know that was a proposed spinoff to Star Trek, you know, Simon Earth, you know, with Gary Seven and Roberta, right. but um, and it never happened. But this is a nice way of seeing what what they could have done with it, and you know, and they're not worried about having to draw the the actors the way they are now they right. could draw them how they look back then because you know, let's face facts terry guard does not look like she did back then no. anymore <laughs> so um but i don't like to face that fact but i will <laughs> but i uh, uh you know like i says i you know i'm am i upset that i paid full price for it no i'm you know i was entertained i got my money's worth out of it but i definitely if you if you're thinking about looking for it I'm sure you could probably find us in in some dollar bands, or like I said, or wait wait for the trade because it's it's good enough to get. Let's put it that way. Cool. All right. What else do we got? Well, this episode to me contains one of the coolest Kirk fights ever. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like a training guide to Kirk fighting. He uses all his techniques of and it's close <laughs> combat fighting but he manages to slip every cur- from the shoulder roll to the double punch to the grab the door frame and and lift your legs up to the well i, I think when when we got cut off yesterday i think it, one of you guys brought up that it looked like when he the way he started the <laughs> fight yeah, yeah, like someone threw him. He launches himself at the three yeah. security guards, looks for all the world like he's been picked up and bodily thrown exactly. at these people. I mean, yeah, a couple of hefty like you know? <laughs> couple of hefty teamsters grabbed him and yeah. threw him at the guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, one, two, three. Uh! Yeah, that's, that, yeah, and that's like that, that's the first shot, or just two guys running up and and having. Kirk and and he's literally flying through the air sideways. You know he yeah. hits them like with his side, 
bounces off them onto the ground, and you know, and, and from then on, it's on, it's on, man. I, I think the only thing this was missing was somehow his shirt getting ripped. Yes, because you know it, it, it had to always get ripped. You <laughs> well, know? his shirt usually always has to get ripped, and somebody has to give him a good socceroo to the jaw, so he's got the little dribble of little blood, blood out of the corner of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but not only that, but he has to take his fist. And reach up and, and dab that blood with his fist and look at it and, and go, oh, uh-huh. all right. Yeah. All right. Oh, the yeah. Best ta- it, the best... May... Sorry. Go, oh, ahead. go ahead. The best example no, I was just going to say, it during... may be missing that, but it does have, you know, the, the instance, the, uh, one of my favorite Kirk fight things <laughs> is when you can tell he's going to let somebody have it. He takes that right fist and pulls it way the hell yes. back as if it's on a spring yes. and just belts somebody. And he does that to the colonel in this episode, and I love it. Every yeah. time I see it, I just laugh and laugh. Yeah, It's great. It's like, hello, here it comes, here it comes, smack, yeah. you know. Oh, it's like, it's like, it's winds like, up with that. Yeah, it's like cocking a gun, you know. It's back, it clicks into place, and then a button's pushed, and it just snaps. Yeah. And and I, I, I'm not sure I remember did it another uh definite, you know, element of a Kirk of a classic Kurt fight is <clears throat> about halfway through the fight, that's usually when his hair just starts it's sort of like the three stooges <laughs> hair used to get when they'd start smacking each other. You know, it's kinda greasy and it gets all fucking just goes all over the place. And I don't remember <laughs> if he got the if he got the hair in this one. No, he he pretty he much had James Bond hair in yeah. this one. I don't think it really went anywhere in this particular episode. Yeah, I don't episode. really remember him getting the because in the last episode that we that we analyzed the 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 gas passers. I mean, it, like it was like two seconds into that fight, and his hair just went and was just all over the place. It looked like somebody had just like stubbed him into the ground like a cigarette butt or something. <laughs> But yeah, I, well, he no, also, no. You know, uh, along with the way he belts the colonel in that one part is, uh, you know, Kirk, I love Kirk. You know, Kirk is at his most entertaining to me when, when he, he goes the extra mile and does things. <laughs> there was really no reason for him to do, but he does it anyway, just because he's goddamn James Kirk. And, you know, the part where he, he storms into the, the transporter room and, and Captain Christopher's trying to get away. And, you know, he, he he takes his left hand and he, like, does, like, a karate chop and disarms the phaser. All right, so the guy's disarmed. You know, he's not going anywhere. But what does Kirk do? Then he belts him in the jaw, too. You know, that, it just has to hit somebody, you know. It's just not a complete episode if Kirk doesn't roundhouse doesn't a just, couple people. Just you know? hit them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. One punch. That's all it took was just that guy was flat on his back, you know. That's all it and he, usually and he was, takes. But he was laid up enough where they got him all the way to a sick bay. And he was yeah. laying on that little couch, you know. And he'll come around in a few minutes. Damn, what were you holding a roll of quarters in your hand when you hit that guy or something? I don't know. He was out for a good long time, man. Yeah. But, but that that's Kirk. I mean, come on, you well, know. Not, not only that, they knock him out and and, and but it's still he he's going to be waking up at any time, but the whole time they're sitting there talking about like 
What about you? Think he's going to forget his wife and children? Oh, oh, hey. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. You're awake? You didn't realize you were awake, you know? <laughs> uh, and then you... Uh, and then he did come up, you know, and if, if somebody hit somebody that hard that to knock them unconscious, don't you think it would have like a busted lip or a big old bruise or, you know, black eye? I mean, uh, you know, McCoy's McCoy good, but yeah. come on. Do you think McCoy would be just like, God damn it, Jim, no more concussions. Sick of treating <laughs> We're concussions. Running out of- it's not good for people to knock their brain around in their brain pan. It's just you're not supposed to do it. Another black guy, we're running out of stakes to put on these eyes, you know? we got stun on the phasers. Don't you understand that? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, one of the things in the the fight, um, when they went to do the rescue, I I did like that when he finally punches out the colonel. And the colonel's a little tougher than Captain Christopher because, you know, the colonel took a couple punches before he fell. And he's like, that's when you finally see Kirk like holding his hand, like Spock's like, "Doesn't you find? Don't you find that painful?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, thank, I you. Do. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I do. But enjoyable. That and he's playing leapfrog with the with the with his guards. I mean, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Again, he, have... he, if you watch that scene, he could have. He's he's clear. He can head out that door. Yeah, no. and run. <laughs> And he comes back and oh, look, look, hey, there's a door jam. Let me grab it and lift and jump yeah. and hop. You know, it's like, come on. You know, you had him dead to rights, you know. You could have been gone, tucking off. But no, he's going to play leapfrog with these guys. <laughs> Kirk, fights are, Kirk fights are choreographed. They have to be every, you know, everyone. And and it's great because, like, it, it, it a lot of the times, you know, it depends on the stunt doubles that he's working with. But you'll see, like... You'll see how they've had the you know the whole routine worked out, and uh, mm. okay, and it goes punch punch, and then flip <laughs> punch, and then I roll and you jump up in the air, and then I get up and I give you a hack on the shoulder, and you sort of cringe <laughs> up and fall down. What was the one on the on the Family Guy where the 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 nerd was like you know I will now show a typical Kirk fight scene but i will point out where it's his stunt double you know there's, <laughs> yeah. Kirk, there, there's shatner there's fred dubins there's shatner there's fred dubins there no, well here's shatner but you can see fred dubins mug in the background you know like <laughs> 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 yeah yeah or or still my favorite had to be the one from um from um futurama where he fights leela and before he starts he rips his shirt oh yeah yeah <laughs> 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 that was the ultimate that was like when that when I found out that was the last episode of the series I'm like that is the most perfect ending for a series ever <laughs> and I'll throw my shoe at him you know and, and <laughs> oh my god yeah that, that, that have you ever seen what do you that, guys Scott? For... no no I haven't oh my god a, a, like a disembodied brain well, in, have you ever watched Futurama? I, I, very little of it. Well, in, in Futurama, there's this whole storyline where there's just every they can have modern celebrities in it because everybody's head is just sort of sitting in a jar. So there's the animated <laughs> head of everybody in a jar. So all the all the Star Trek cast 
are, you know, George Takai's head in a jar, Shatner's head in a jar. I think Shat, who was in it? Shat, everybody but Scott. Everybody but, but Scott. And, yeah, it was Welchie. 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 And uh, this, you know, this disembodied brain, like, steals all all the, you know, heads of the Star Trek characters and puts them in their, in their character, but yeah, puts them in their character's body on a planet and is having them reenact episodes, Trek. you know, with Yeah, Trek Fest two three thousand. <laughs> like... That's right. <laughs> the best scene was when Kirk starts singing and he's singing uh uh I'm uh, I'm the real Slim Shady. Oh that's and right. Here's Su- and here's Sulu. Oh no, check off. How can you do a spoken word version of a rap song? And then the little cloud goes he found a way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all the real voices, you know. It's all, it's Uhura's yeah. voice. And, and, of course, Kirk Nimoy. ends up making out with Leela. And, oh, it's awesome. <laughs> Everybody but Scotty. That's funny. Yeah. The episode's called Where No Fan Has Gone Before. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Because the, the whole bit, it, they, they make every Star Trek gag they can think of, you know. <laughs> like the uh where they do the game show and they're and they're they're competing for quatludes. That's you know? right. <laughs> and you, hey. and you, okay, who what twentieth century villain did Kirk face off in the classic episode Space Seed and here William Shatner stands up in the crowd, Con <laughs> You know <laughs> uh, and then the, the it. classics Go ahead. I was just gonna say, bringing it back to to this one here, though. What uh, he's really what stands in, out. Man. Your, yeah, I, <laughs> I I gotta bring it back on topic. What, uh, Stay on target. Your, that's it. What are what are favorite moments for you guys for for this particular episode? Well, you know, all time for me is always gonna be the the shot of the Enterprise from below. But and the, oh the, yeah, and, and the fight. But oh my God, it's hard. To, it's just hard to choose in this one. There's just so many. So I, I mean, it's always yeah. Anything involving the the jets and and the Enterprise is what makes it for me. And you know, if because almost every like TV show or movie, when I pull it up in my memory, has a sort of default picture, you know, or image from it. And this one's always mm-hmm. the view from inside the cockpit of the plane of the uh, of the Enterprise. Yeah, so yeah. Really uh, for me, it's a lot of the humor moments. Uh, I love the interrogation scene. You know, with Kirk sitting yeah. there and it just and he just like plain kind of dumb. You know, like you know, you know, I'm gonna lock you up for two hundred years, Mister. And just be about right. And you know yeah. that in the. Um, <laughs> The scene with the guard inside the transporter room when he orders the chicken soup, you know, it just, just like, are you hungry? Yeah. What would you like? Uh, chicken soup would be good. And then that look of astonishment and that quirky music playing in the background, you know, and yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's chicken soup, you know, a lot of scenes like that. It's, you know, Star Trek, you know, it's not about the humor, but God, they always, there were just some episodes where they just hit every mark. You know, they yeah. had nice balance with well, humor and well, the stuff, the action and everything. Well, that guy was great because his whole thing was—I mean, he went catatonic as soon as he as soon as he appeared there. He just stayed right in position and just fro- <laughs> was frozen there. And they're like, "I don't think this guy is going to be a problem." And he just sat there, 
you know, <laughs> until they finally just sort of walked him off there and then gave him his. But he was in shock the whole time, pretty much. <laughs> and that, but that, yeah. was, that was just very well written. A lot of a lot of th- shows wouldn't have really illustrated it as well as as just having him stand there with his with his gun sort of held out. Didn't they just walk up and like sort of take the gun out of his Yeah, McCoy hand? just kind of just reached out and just kind of grabbed the gun <laughs> slowly you. out of his hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, that was one of the things, you know, too, you know, a lot of shows either to go too far with, you know, no humor whatsoever yeah. or they get that humor gets too quirky, too stupid, you know, like you cringe after a while, like, oh, just get on with it. But this one had a really nice balance. Like I says, you know, there was humor where it needed to be. You know, there was lighthearted moments. There were, like, serious moments. You know, it was great. Uh, it was just a well-rounded, well-balanced episode. And those humor modes are the ones for me. When I think about this episode, I always picture that scene of Kirk with his little fingers uh, in front of his chest, like, trying to be the old minister innocent. Like, who, me? You yeah. know, I didn't do yeah. thing, you know? He's basically just buying time so he's confident. but it, So he's just having fun with it. He's trying to have some sort of fun with the situation. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centauri, a beautiful place. You should see it sometime. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of it, you know, uh, owes to the, uh, as as you guys were talking about yesterday after we got cut off, it's to the writer, DC Fontana. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the classic Trek writers, you know, being like one of the staff writers who wrote an awful lot of the episodes. Yeah, she yeah, was. She, uh, she, she's my personal favorite. Yeah, she brought an awful lot of of lore to the to the Trek, you know, to the Trek universe, particularly Spock. You know, that was that was a fan favorite character, and it was you know definitely a, a character that she was very fond of. So she added a lot of dimension she to that character. But yeah, this and, and this I, this. Oh, go ahead, man. Oh, I was saying, and like we were, like I mentioned earlier, with the fact that they brought number one, uh, made a woman. You know, here we got the the sci-fi writer who was a female who unfortunately had to go by DC instead of her first name because nobody would believe a woman could write science fiction right. like this, which is sad. You know, yeah, she they did probably such just, a incredible job. They probably just would have stuck her script at the bottom of the pile automatically without reading it. Yeah. It's sort of like I guess they did that. They did sort of homage to that in Deep Space Nine, where they had, oh, yeah. Uh, where it's at, yeah, where they had, uh, uh, what's her name, um, Major, the Major, to be, play that role of a sci-fi writer who just when they took photos of all the sci-fi writers, she was you know always absent because they didn't want anybody to know that she was a woman. That was that's sad, but yeah, uh, that was know. a good episode. I like that one. I, I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I did like that one. Well, the, the the moment for me in this, I mean, I, I love this episode all around. I, I agree with you that I think that this was one of the best episodes of having a, a really perfect blend of, you know, a serious subject, uh, you know, a somewhat intense episode, but it has just the right amount of humor and, and humor that really works. You know, it's, it's well-timed, well-played. It, 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 keeps it light without making it silly but it still you know keeps its seriousness too you know so you, yeah. so you get a nice blend of that you know the 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 kind of ominous things that are going on in the story but then you know you still have your moments of levity too but my my personal favorite moment of the whole episode you know the the moment that that I always look forward to whenever I watch this one is uh 
you know, right at the end when they're, uh, you know, they begin the, the procedure to, to try the slingshot effect, you know, so that they can return, uh, Christopher and they can return the, uh, the air sergeant, you know, back to the base and then they can try to get back to their own time is, you know, they're, they're all standing on the bridge and captain Christopher's there on the bridge and they're watching the, the earth, you know, dwindling on the, on the view screen and, you know, you can tell Captain Christopher, you know, this is kind of blowing his mind that, you know, not only is he seeing Earth from space, but now, you know, he, he realizes how far out he is from space. You know, he's getting that kind of, you know, kind of like how the Apollo 11 guys, you know, when they first came around the moon the first time and saw the Earth was just a tiny little dot in the sky and it was such a monumental thing for them. You know, this guy's having that experience. And, uh, and he, you know, he tells Kirk, you know, how he had tried out for the space program and, you know, basically didn't make the cut. And, and Kirk just has a great line. You know, he says, well, you know, take a good look around, Captain. You know, you, you made it here ahead of all of them. And I, I love that. You know, as, as a fan of, of the early space program, you know, with Mercury and Gemini and Apollo and all that and, and someone who really follows it and, and really, you know, is passionate about that. I love that moment. It, it just speaks to that you know, to that in me, that, that fandom of, of that early program and all. And, uh, I just thought that was a really nice moment that they acknowledged that, yeah, that would blow this guy away. You know, that he would yep. think that that was really cool, you know, as a, as a yeah. pilot and as someone, you know, who had aspired to that astronaut program, I thought that was just I'm, I'm, really well I'm, done. I'm sure Kirk identified a lot with him too. He and Kirk identified a lot with each other in a lot of ways, you know, they were similar yeah, I'm sure Kirk felt the same way. That. Kirk's a throwback yeah. to that time period anyway, you know? So. Well, I think that by the end of that episode, you know, they, they had kind of come to a to an understanding and, and almost uh-huh. to, a, you know, like a budding friendship, you know, that if if, if somehow they ever managed to, to, by some weird twist of fate, they ever met up again, I, I think that they would actually – you know, meet up as friends, you know, that, that, that they had kind of, uh, you know, despite the fact that Kirk kind of came off somewhat sinister in the beginning of this episode to me, right. I always thought that this was the, one of the rare instances where you see Kirk and he's not quite the hero in, in the aspect of, I mean, I think he's fully prepared to do oh, what yeah. he says and, and keep this guy, prisoner he's made a mistake and he's he's about to screw up somebody's life because of it yep and that always came off as as very sinister to me you know until you know spot comes up with the whole thing of you know we have to send him back you know that that always stood out to me right from as a kid watching this episode that wow you know kirk you know, for a change, he he's got kind of a kind of the sinister side to him in this particular episode but then by the end you know, like you say, you you almost get the the buddy feeling between him and and, and Christopher. You know, there, there's a little bit of a parallel there, and a little bit of a buddy thing working. But also, like you say, you know, Kirk. I think Kirk really identified with this guy. I think he, you know, not only did he sympathize with his predicament, but I, I think that, you know, they're they're very similar personality types, and I think that that, you know, that plays very well. That that Kirk saw this guy as a peer. You know, or as a, as a, like a, you know, like he's kind Kindred of spirit. The, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That that's what. Well, I was you, going saw for. That, exactly. you saw that. You saw that the the very beginning, first time you saw this was when he was, when they were talking, and they go, 
well, when Christopher tells him, you know, what would you do? You know, my job is to report what I saw. You know, what yeah. would you do? And Kirk just kind of looked and just said, I'd report. You know, it's, it, you saw it start there. They realized they're very similar people, you know. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, and yeah, you're right. When, when, they did, when he did that look ahead, look ahead, you, you beat them all here, you know, you saw that connection. You know, they sort of almost, almost like a little minor bonding moment yeah. there for them. I like that. And I think that's why that moment that I cited works for me so well because, you know, there, there's a, a great moment in uh, the novelization to Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know, that was actually written by Gene Roddenberry. You know, he was very passionate about that movie, you know, and, and that story, you know, despite, you know, what how it came off and the fact that most Star Trek fans really hate that movie – it's one of the reasons I really like it was that that was a very personal thing to Gene Roddenberry himself. Anyway, in the beginning of that book, he does kind of a character study of Kirk, you know, as as almost a preface to the to the beginning of the story. And he describes Kirk as a throwback, you know, and likens him, you know, to to kind of a, an earlier man than than what man has actually evolved into by the time of the Star Trek stories in the 23rd century. And I forget who exactly he compares him to, but he does use the the specific term throwback. I think Kirk is a throwback to somebody like, you know, Christopher and Christopher's peers as far as like the early uh, Mercury guys, you know, they were all test pilots that, you know, you know, watch the right stuff. You know, all these guys, they they were, they were Kirk. Yeah, they were the Kirk Alpha males. You know, they were they they were the same type of personality. They took risks. You know, they were daring. They you know they just had that that attitude. And so yeah, that to me is I think that's one of the reasons Kirk appeals is he he likens back to you know those buckaroos. You know that 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 cowboy you know space cowboy mentality. And uh, I think that you know that that's I, I believe why I've that, heard. I think I've heard Roddenberry say that Kirk was like, uh, like either Captain Horatio Hornblower, or, uh, was it, um, or something uh, like that. He was more of that older uh, seafaring type character that he kind of modeled him after. But I agree with you. Yeah, you know, Kirk is a throwback. Um, and and I, I, you know, you like the uh, the first movie. Uh, that's your favorite. That's one of my favorites too. That's not my favorite. That's my second favorite. But. If you like that one, you, you should check out some of the books. They did a, a whole Lost Year series. Like there's like two or three oh, yeah. novels, you know, and they you get more of that character study of Kirk, and and you you find out a lot about him, his personality, white traits, and stuff like that. So it's those are good uh, compliments to that movie. Yeah, those are definitely on my on my to read list because I just recently bought the the Lost Years eventually became a whole series. And I just bought the the last book. I think it's called Trader Winds. And I've read the Lost Years books over the years, but I read them. I think I read them in order, but you know, the, they didn't come out. You know, one right after the other. They came out no. over time, interscattered with all these other books that came out. So I've kind of forgotten where the story was going and what was going on. So I'm going to sit down and read the whole series, you know, again, and then read this this last one for the first time and. Uh, I'll be uh, I'll be doing book reports on those eventually on the show because I, that that to me is 
that's my personal favorite Star Trek era is, you know, that the lost years leading into the first movie and then, you know, the 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 era, you know, just post that first movie because it's largely unexplored and I, you know, my my mind creates scenarios to where, you know, they had you know, glorious adventures we just never learned about, you know, which could be <laughs> dead wrong. You know, right. it might have been very boring. <laughs> you know, we'll find well, they out, had, I guess. Well, there's also the comic series from IDW where they did uh, year four for mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek, which covered the last, you know, leaved off right after the um, uh, the Turnabout Intruder. So um, you got the fourth year of Star Trek, and those were good ones too. So, you know, there's a lot of ground uh, covered in different media that if people are interested in, and they go in a little bit more into details of the characters and stuff like that, you learn a lot and it's right. they're fun reads. So also another thing yeah, I, I like, I've been meaning to mention about this episode is, uh, they got the date, the day right for the moon landing before the moon. Well, landing yeah, actually hit. it was a, the launch of the, of the moon oh, landing. The launch of the moon uh, landing. It, yeah. yeah. Because it launched on a Wednesday, and um, they they in the in the radio broadcast that Uhura pipes in at the very beginning, they say that the Wednesday's launch for the first man for the first oh, man right. uh, moon landing, yeah, that's uh, Apollo eleven, yeah, that's cool. I mean, and wh- how long was it before that actually happened? It was a couple of years at least, yeah, right? At least, at least two, two years. years, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I Because this is a first season episode, so you figured this was 66, so yeah, about three years. Because the, the first landing was in, uh, what, June of 69, so yeah. 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 So, yeah, that, that was good. Well, you know, I mean, you, you got to give them the props when they when they get stuff right, because then we had other things like the eugenics wars that turned out, you know, unless, unless I missed something on CNN or Fox that day, you know, that, that whole thing. <laughs> Well, well, they got the technology right. Come on, we're all using the little communicators. You know, those are our cell phones, and and now (laughs) and now everybody has those earpieces Uhura and Spock used to wear. Those are Bluetooth devices. Yeah, yeah, true. Ours are even smaller than theirs. If 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 nobody would put an earpiece in the Spock or although you know what, why doesn't somebody make those? They're sort, uh, of, they're, they're, I, I, they're sort of that cylindrical thing with the layers yeah. of – they're sort of a layer It looks of, like a mic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there was um, – at Comic-Con this year, uh, Gene Roddenberry's um, com- uh, production company, Roddenberry Inc., a con, they, um, they, have a, they make a lot of the really professional models and stuff. Uh-huh. They had those mm-hmm. ones there. Oh, they are heavy. I I cannot see how somebody could keep that in their ear all day. But yeah, if they did make the a real time, light duty, go ahead. Well, the first time somebody like was climbing into their car or you know hit hit themselves into a door jam or something and poked out their eardrum and the yeah. company got sued for a million dollars, that'd be the end of that. Yeah. So I, I think I see why they don't market that. <laughs> uh, but. I- I would buy one. I would get one. If it wasn't too expensive, you know, if it was, it was like $30, $40 and it actually functioned, I'd get it. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm that big of a nerd. I, I just want to – I want a cell phone that does the communicator chirp when you open it up. I, I, I can't understand why this is not on every cell phone. In the world, you know? yeah. It's on my cell phone. I, I, I downloaded that sound to my cell phone. So when, when the phone rings, it goes, you know, that's the, the Star Trek chirp. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I want that on my phone. 
Well, one uh, one big thing, you know, I, I like to point out, you know, where where the episodes as we review them, if there's things, you know, that that the episode brought to the overall lore, and this one had brought a big chunk with the slingshot effect. You know, this this was the mechanism, you know, that that got them back and forth in uh, Star Trek for the voyage right. home. You know, when they had to go back and you know, bring whales to the to the twenty third century to save the planet. You know, this was the time travel mechanism they used. So, you know, that was a major chunk uh, of lore that that this one uh, that this one brought in, and I, I like that. I like that it wasn't forgotten and that they used it again. Oh, it and, definitely uh, wasn't forgotten. It came in handy in a lot of places. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in various. I'm sure, and when you start taking the comics and the books into consideration. I'm sure it got oh, yeah. I'm sure it got used all the time to the point of where, you know, Starfleet was probably like, you know, we're going to have to make some rules about this cuz Kirk keeps like doing it like traveling mm-hmm. through time, you know. How, that do you think that uh, it can't be good, right? Right? Anybody? <laughs> well, that well, that's one least... of the reasons I can Oh, go ahead, man. Oh, I was going to say at least when they did it in the show, they didn't have to uh work around those big floating heads of theirs in space, you know, like in the, in the movie, you know, with Voyage Home, where remember when they did the slingshot oh, yeah. effects, I mean, there were these <laughs> big, like, marble heads of, of all the people, you know, merging from one to the other, you know, so wow. that's a good thing. I miss, I did see I, that I, one. That sounds pretty weird. Out in space, like remember no, in, he's, he's, talk, he's talking in, in Star Trek Four where they travel through time, and Kirk has that little dream sequence, oh. and he got the generated heads. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? <laughs> you know what's really fun too is that I think, you know, here that that movie is only twenty something years old now, and I think that effect has held up less well than older effects that are on the actual show. Somehow that right. computer effect to me, I this watch it now and it looks things. terrible. Yeah. yeah, I, It just it looks was terrible. And I'll watch something <laughs> like Doomsday Machine and I'm still in awe you know, of, of these cheesy <laughs> 60s effects. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It's because it's, you know, they, they should would have been better off making those faces out of rubber in those days. You know, <laughs> because computer stuff was just goofy in those days, but it looked, but it looked high tech then, you know. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, what did I just watch recently that was an example of that? That Oh, I saw a video that somebody made at home on their computer, on their home computer, where they took their kids, them and their kids, and they, he recreated, he used the sound from Tron of the light cycle chase, but he just oh, yeah. completely generated the whole visual for it himself you know from scratch but with his kids you know with a composite of his kids and they you know from when the fight started till when they blast a hole and escape through the hole and i mean he i mean completely recreated it and he did it in like six weeks and he said i could have done it faster but i had a really slow computer at that point so, you know, that just shows you how far comp- – that some, some guy at his home can do the effects to the level of Tron. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Much Absolutely. like uh, – was it the, 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 the Star Wars kid? You know, yeah, they yeah, keep yeah, showing yeah. that – they do the lightsaber thing, you know, and they 
I've seen so many versions of that where they added the music and they added the effects to the lightsaber and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> it's the, the, the whole te- that, uh, that that technology is so and that and the technology that like made those faces on Star Trek is probably like in, you can put it in your watch now. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's probably it's probably like yeah, it's just. <laughs> And it shows, but then it was just like, ooh, you know, anything, anything that was sort of, uh, um, oh, what do you call it when you have a wireframe <laughs> looked really yeah. super snazzy then, although there were people oh, yeah. who were pulling it off really good. Like, um, Max Headroom was around mm-hmm. that same time period, the original Max Headroom, and that still stands up today. The, the, the yeah, I, I guess it's how... Guess how this just is how cheesy it looks when you first do it, you know? Because yeah, the Max Headroom didn't. I mean, it, it was interesting, but it wasn't like that that weird, like those floating heads in space that Kirk had a right. dream about when he was. It was like that was just weird. Even when I first saw that, it was like, yeah. okay. I mean, it looked cool at the time, but you're like, what does this have to do with the story, you know? So I guess that plays into it, Too you know, how well LDS. it holds up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think lastly that it's it's worth noting that um, you know other than the than when they went back in time you know I think it was three days at the end of Naked Time which was supposed to dovetail with this episode initially anyway this really is the first out and out time travel episode of Star Trek you know this was the first one where where they uh, where they actually uh, yeah. wind up back in. T- yeah. You know, by and interact with the know. past, yeah. And yeah, exactly. And miraculously, you know, you had, you had... not in the time of Nazi Germany either. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Well, you know, you commented on uh, you know the fact that that Kirk makes a lot of screw ups and 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 a lot of what seem like bonehead mistakes and all. And and I think that it's worth noting that you know that this was the first thing, and and eventually they did come up with you know, a set of rules to handle this sort of, I think they ended up calling it the temporal prime directive, if I remember uh-huh. right. And it was right. just, it's basically a set of timelines for when these type of things happen. And the episode that I can remember them talking about it, they specifically cite Kirk and the fact of, you know, all the, all the trouble he used to cause, you know, with, sure. with all his time traveling adventures and stuff. So I thought that was really neat. Right after the Kobayashi you know, kinda... Maru, I would have been keeping my eyes on that old boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember last year, last episode, you talked about the, the book Federation. And they remember they even quoted in that uh, Picard had that whole thing, you know, uh-uh, we know what we're supposed to do, that the ship from the future is the only one allowed to contact the ship from the past, you know, and this and that, you know, because they had all those temporal agreements set up. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah but yeah, it wasn't. I say that. I do remember that. Yeah. That yeah, was But it wasn't book. what? Until, like... Oh, great. I love that book. Well, I was like, it's always fun talking track to people, you know. I could talk Absolutely. Trek all night long, but you know I don't think people want to listen to a 24-hour podcast about Trek. <laughs> oh, people probably would. I was but... going to say by the time we get by the time we get like 12, 15 of these, I'll bet you there's going to be somebody who who could do 20, you know, who'll do close to 24 hours straight. And and we only got like what 69 episodes to go or something like that. 70 episodes. <laughs> <Something to go>. <laughs> <laughs> and then on to the animated series. Yay! <laughs> I love the animated I series. Do too. 
I would kill for a copy of the soundtrack of those. Oh. Why they don't put that out? Yeah. I've looked everywhere and can't find anything from it. It kills me. It kills me. I've got me. a couple. They... I've got a couple of them. I've I've been able to find some. I've got some things like some of the sound effects, like uh, the uh-huh. red alert. Mm-hmm. That's another one on my cell phone. I put the red alert from I've the got animated some of those one too. I've got some of those too. Now that you mention it, yeah. Somehow, but yeah, I would love some of the other ones. Yeah. And I've ripped a few of my own. Oh, sorry, we shouldn't say that, you know. For my own personal <laughs> use. You know? yeah. Well, just reference episode one of Two True Freaks and you'll see how we feel about that. <laughs> so I think you're okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you're not going to see us. Well, seriously, though, stone. Chris, uh, th- thanks yeah. for being on with us, man. We had an absolute blast. No. And we're definitely going to have you back again to talk more Trek with us. Sure. Uh, like I said, I had a great time, and uh, you know, I'll be more than willing to come back at any time. This has been a lot of fun. Well, before you know? we go, though, I've got to fire up the old computer here. Oh, that's right. That's right. How we, um, we can't forget that now. I'm interested in seeing what's going to happen on this one. Well, you see, what we have is our, our magical Star Trek computer, which yeah. is actually a piece of shit. <laughs> it doesn't work very well. It's sort of warming up right now. And, and, like, sometimes it'll go for... It, it always works, but sometimes it'll go, and then it just wants to stop, and it wants to go, and then it wants to stop. But we, we always are able to coax a random number out of it. It's the size... <laughs> it takes up three rooms in my house. Well, see, it's it, it's consistent with Star Trek, then, you know, the, the classic show. You know, the computers were, were that large in a lot of... Wait, wait, wait. Saying something... Number 18, you fucking moron. 18. Number 18. 18. Number 18. Arena. Yes. yes. The one with the Gorn. Oh. I love this episode. <laughs> this is speaking. I will be quick and merciful. Are we going to watch the special edition where he blinks? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, but it's so cool. We see a Gorn bleed and everything like that. Yeah, that's right. He bleeds in that one too. I don't know. I don't know. I think I might watch it on the uh, the old school if I can find the ripped up sixteen millimeter version with the with the rubber gorn. <laughs> you know, the one that looks like a sleeve stack. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain Kirk. <laughs> This is your opponent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm a Star Trek nerd. I can quote lines. <laughs> you know? like when they're fighting, and the Gorn's like swinging at him, and he's going, <laughs> and it sounds like yeah. uh, like it could be. Um, it sounds like it could be Mel Blanc's voice to me when yeah. he's doing that stuff because he sounds yeah. like Yosemite Sam with like a bad cough or something. Yeah, save it for next time. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you next time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsen.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsen.com is spelled T W O T R U E 
F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.